She's sharp, pointed, and insightful. This is Stacy on the Right on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. I don't like for people to go to prison when it's not absolutely necessary, but sometimes there ought to be an example. There needs to be a real clear accountability for things that have robbed other kids of the opportunity to go to college. And I think some of these people will get frog marched across the federal courthouse lawn. This is part of the continuing Russia investigation. We're not gonna just let all these fake news stories that were written about this investigation, about this hoax, that were lies, we're going to challenge every single one of them in court. We're just starting with Twitter. This is the most ridiculous display by the Democrats. They are very well aware that the Mueller report is probably going to be released soon, and it is going to show that the president did nothing wrong, the campaign did nothing wrong, as we have all said from the very beginning. So here they have to throw something else out there to distract people, to try and make the president look bad. And now, Stacey Washington. Yeah. And now, Stacey Washington, I'm here again. <laughs> no shock there. Welcome to the program here on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. I'm so excited to be with you. We have a jam-packed program today. We are going to spend this whole first hour just me and you. No guest, unless you consider yourself a guest. And if so, you are an esteemed member and part of this program. Uh, thank you for being here. You can find out more at AFR.net, UrbanFamilyTalk.com. That's where you can sign up for the conference that's coming up in the summer. I believe it's the last week in June. And we're going to be so excited to have you there with us to be able to celebrate marriage, life, family, um, all from the biblical perspective. A lot of amazing speakers and... Um, I hope to learn a lot while I'm there and to spend a lot of time uh, just interfacing with the good people who will be attending the conference as well. You can register at Urban Family Talk. You can find out more at UrbanFamilyTalk.com. So today on the program, like I said, we don't have a guest this hour. We're going to be talking to you. And part of what we're going to be discussing starting next segment is we're going to kind of unpack this persistent lie. It's, it's, It's like, you know what it's like? It's like when you see people, you know, a couple of teenagers in high school, one doesn't like the other. So they tell a falsehood about that person. And then the echo chamber, the friend group of the original person, the liar takes that falsehood and they amplify it and they tell everyone they can tell. And whenever they're refuted, they don't mind because they've told enough people the lie that the lie is the truth. And the truth is something that gets buried and ignored because it doesn't fit in with this new narrative about the other person. We're seeing that on an exponentially larger and more dramatic and grand scale with the lie that President Trump is a racist and that he has validated racists through his comments after the horrible killing where the girl was run down by a white supremacist at the Charlottesville rally, which if you remember, the original reason they were getting together to protest was because they didn't want World War II or I'm sorry, Civil War, Civil War era monuments, statues, things like that torn down. They felt it was a part of the history of their area and they didn't want them torn down. And President Trump said there are good people on both sides of that argument. He meant people who wanted the statue torn down. There were some good people who wanted the statues torn down. There were also some good people who wanted the statues to stay up. That's what he meant. He didn't mean there were white supremacists on one side and white supremacists on the other side, and there were good people on both sides. He didn't mean there were 
protesters, counter protesters who are against racism. And then there were the people who were purveyors of racism, the white supremacists, and that there were good people on both sides of that. At no point has the president ever called white supremacists good people. This has been debunked in Ann Coulter's book, the most recent book she has out there. Uh, she talked about it here on the show. There's so many other people. Um, the guy who writes the Dilbert cartoon, um, his Scott Adams, he's debunked it in one of his viral Periscope videos. And the information is pretty simple and it's easy to find. But no worry. You don't have to do any homework. If I'm going to talk about a subject on the show, I'm going to bring you the homework. I did the homework. I found a couple of the clips where the president has denounced not just white supremacy, but the KKK and David Duke. Notice David Duke will come out. He just he's like a mole that pops out at the most inopportune time. And he'll say something nice about someone that's saying something that he agrees with as if to give them his white supremacist endorsement. And you're never to be fooled by that, right? Adults know that this guy, first of all, he's an epic master troll. He's also a white supremacist. He's also someone who loves to bask in the fact that people are angry at each other because he said something nice about somebody. He loves provoking people. He's like worm tongue, only worse because worm tongues, they're all the time pouring on, on the, the, the horrible things. He, and it's a constant hum of lies. With him, he just pops out whenever it, it makes sense to him. And then he, he goes back and he's living his life and enjoying himself. He's actually, you know, living his best life, enjoying himself, you know, YOLO, all the other little things, you know, treat yourself, whatever, whatever your slogan is. He's doing all that. But when he sees an opportunity to come out and make other people look bad or fight just be, by saying his name, he does it. And we give in to that by giving David Duke the power to make us say, oh, David Duke likes that person, so we don't like that person anymore. It's like we have to one-up each other on how unracist we are. And, you know, I, I refuse to play that game. I'm done trying to appease people who want me to bow down to their ideology and the way they get me to bow down is to say, well, that wasn't racist or that is racist. If, if something is racist, you, you, you are a grown adult. You should be able to decipher that for yourself. And if something is not racist or racially motivated, same, same. The other thing is the New Zealand attack, as horrific as it was, is not an invitation for Americans to prostrate themselves in front of the practitioners of Islam as if we did something wrong. Nothing we said or did here in this country was the impetus for that man creating that attack. He thought the, the attack up in his own mind. He engaged in the sinful, lustful behavior of planning to kill people at mosques. Then he went out and executed it and live streamed it to Facebook. That has nothing to do with Americans or what we believe or our country or the level of racism here or anything else like that. I mean, if that's the case, any person who wants to blame America for anything can just add into their manifesto and also America made me do this. And then we're on the hook for that, too. Is that all it takes? I don't think so. Free thinking individuals know that that has nothing to do with who, as Barack Obama would say, you, know, you guys know I hate this slogan, but I'm going to say it anyway. It has nothing to do with who we are. <laughs> there. <laughs> There's our Obama reference for the day. So. We're going to be getting into that. I want to invite you. You know, share coming up. I've been talking about it with some fantastic things in store for you during the week of share -thon. But right now is the time where we normally ask you to tell us what the ministry means to you. So bear with me here. I need to give you this number so you can call in and tell us about how much you like us and how much we rock. Okay. Okay. I'm kidding. We want you to call in and tell us a listener story about how uh, the programming here at AFR has impacted you. And sometimes y'all share this when you call up 
and you're calling in on the program, and that's wonderful. We just want you to call and leave that message on this line at 877-876-8893, 877-876-8893. And you can share for a minute or two, and then you might get to hear yourself during share which is always awesome. I don't know about you, but I love it when I'm just strolling on down the road, you know, minding my own business, and then I hear a promo, and it's me. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I just told you a secret. So the first time that ever happened to me, just since we're on the subject, years and years ago when I was just doing uh, like a 7 to 15 minute radio hit on a morning show here locally, and this is where I got my start in radio, um, he would do a promo for who was on the next day. And so I, that was basically the only channel I listened to back then. And um, I'd be driving down the street, just minding my own business listening, and he, he would come on and say, tomorrow on, you know, Almond in the Morning, we're going to have... And he'd name off the people and he'd say, and Stacy on the right. Or we're going to have Stacy on the right, yada, yada, yada. And I'd be like, woohoo, you know. So the first time I ever said to him, oh, you, you shouted me out on the radio. He was like, that's called a promo. I do those for every, I do those every day. <laughs> and let the wind out of my sails. But I still get a little kick out of hearing that type of thing, which means you can get a kick out of hearing it too. But you have to do something in order to get your voice on the radio, and that is call 877-876-8893, 877-876-8893. Okay, so let's do our encouragement. The encouragement for today is Psalm 46.1, God is our refuge. God is our refuge. And I just, I love this scripture. We could just sit here all day. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. It doesn't say if you're perfect. He's, he's your present help in time of trouble if you've, you know, prayed every single morning in a row and not missed any of your morning devotionals, or if you haven't had an angry outburst, you haven't lost your temper, or you haven't had that same awful thought you've been trying to get rid of about the person who's been, you know, backstabbing you or whatever. Whatever the situation is, he doesn't put any ifs, ands, or buts on this. He doesn't say, I, I might be your help if you've satisfied these requirements. Believe in Jesus. He's your ever-present help. There, that's it. And this is something that stands in the middle of the day and the middle of the night, the morning, the noontime, when you're getting that phone call that you never wanted to get, when you have a family member who's sick, when you have the best, highest moments of your life and you're just floating on cloud nine. He's your ever-present help in time of trouble. He's your refuge and strength. That's God. And that's encouraging. So uh, now I want to talk about something that is, is not encouraging, and it's the media silence surrounding the Muslim massacre of Christians. And so, obviously, we don't condone any massacres at all. Let me make my, my little uh, informative PSA here real quick. Because what will happen is someone will say, well, she's talking about Christians who've been massacred as if it's okay for Muslims to be massacred. Uh, but is that okay? You're right. It's not okay, whiny baby. It's not okay for anyone to be massacred. I'm never okay with people getting massacred, okay? But what should happen is the same kind of media furor that has occurred around the massacre of the Muslims who were practicing and worshiping at their mosque in the Netherlands that or New Zealand, that should be, that is horrifying. It should be a news story. And so should this. Political leaders, public figures falling over themselves this weekend to condemn the mosque attacks in New Zealand. But dozens of Christians were slaughtered by Muslims in Nigeria and we heard nothing. Now, is it because the Nigerians have the permanent tan? I don't know. Is it because, um, the Nigerian Christians are Christians and that's just, you know, like not okay. I don't know. I don't know what is making it so that there's this echo chamber surrounding any kind of Christian persecution 
and and basically it's not an echo chamber it's a silo and no sound can escape it uh, but the, then if anything happens to uh you know at a muslim mosque or anything like that then you know we all have to stop what we're doing and make a declaration that we're not racist and that racism is wrong and also islamophobia is wrong and you know trump's muslim ban is wrong which by the way it wasn't a muslim ban and by the way it was totally on point that's why the supreme court validated it and that's why it stood and and there's they're not connected saying that people who are trying to get here from countries that don't have proper vetting processes, which allows terrorist infiltration, saying that we're not going to receive people from there until they stand up their agencies and get their stuff together is not the same as saying we don't want Muslims here. We're still having lawful immigration from all over the world. Just those six nations were given a moratorium, not a ban, a pause. But again, I guess the truth doesn't really matter, does it? So, We've got these Christians and they're in Nigeria and um, it's a really interesting thing that's going on here because we, this is not our reality. We have a functioning government as, as ridiculous as our Congress is. We have a functioning government and, you know, this is just not what, what we know here in this country. So the, the, this is about Fulani jihadists. And they just killed 120 Christians, Christian people. Let me, let, me, let me really be clear here and delineate. We're talking about human beings who are from the country, nation state of Nigeria. They're Christians and they were killed not because they're black, not because they're Nigerian, but because they're Christians. The Fulani jihadists are practitioners of Islam. And they killed these men, women, and children by burning down 140 houses and killing them, hacking them to death with machetes, and shooting them. The New York Times didn't report it. The Washington Post, Chicago Tribune, Detroit Free Press, LA Times, not one newspaper in the United States reported it. You got Breitbart reporting this story. Breitbart News. The three major Television channels, their news shows didn't report on it, nor did CNN or MSNBC. And this is a searing indictment on how little they think of people who practice Christianity, especially when everything's about race. You would think that since these people are Nigerian and they sport the permanent tan, that they would get their their information, their news would make news because of that. But they're Christian, so no go. So when we get back, we're going to talk about President Trump being a racist no matter what. And I have audio for you. Stay right there. Eighty percent of the time, an abortion-minded mother who views an ultrasound or sonogram of her baby will choose life. Here's the story of Candace. The sonogram sealed the deal for me. My baby was like this tiny little spectrum of hope. And I saw his heart beating on the screen. And knowing that there's life growing inside, I mean, that sonogram changed my life. I went from just Candace to mom. Thank you to everybody that has given these gifts. You guys are giving more than money. You guys are giving love. There are currently preborn centers which do not have an ultrasound machine. Would you sponsor a machine today Dial pound 250 and say keyword baby. 
That's pound 250 and say baby. Or go to preborn.com. That's preborn.com. Your love can save a life. Hi, I'm Crawford Loritz with a legacy moment. I have a lot of friends, but I'm especially thankful for a handful of close friends who ask me hard questions. When we see each other, we look each other straight in the eye and ask, are you clean? Now, I, I know that sounds kind of like a hard, direct question, but we know each other and we love each other. We do this out of love and a sincere desire to encourage each other to finish well. We all need to be reminded to remain faithful. We need people in our lives who say, how are you doing? Are you hanging in there? Are you staying faithful to your wife? Are you keeping your priorities? Are you using money wisely? What about your time? We all need those people who help us lovingly keep going in the right direction. Great men and women of God have fallen. We must never forget the fact that we're vulnerable. In Joshua chapter 24, verses 14 and 15, it's Joshua's final message to the nation of Israel, where he's kind of preaching his own eulogy. Listen to what he says. Now therefore fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and truth, and put away the gods in which your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt, and serve the Lord. And if it is disagreeable in your sight to serve the Lord, choose for yourselves today whom you will serve, whether the gods which your fathers served which were beyond the river, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Well, here's what I want you to remember today. If we're going to endure until the end, it will take a determined heart to please God, no matter what. Crawford Loritz is Senior Pastor of Fellowship Bible Church in suburban Atlanta, Georgia. For more information, go to livingalegacy.org. Legacy Moment is a production of Moody Radio. Welcome back to Stacy on the Right on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. The president is supposed to be, and he is, the most powerful person in the world. And therefore, he has the biggest megaphone in the world, mm -hmm. and he uses it for other reasons. But on this, and any time we're talking about white supremacy or white nationalism, he chooses not to use it. Uh, and the language that he uses continually. I mean, even when he talked about the horrific incident that took place in New Zealand, he came back and was talking about invaders, which is the same kind of language that you see white nationalists and white supremacists use on a consistent basis. Uh, and then you add that on the kind of rhetoric and things that the president has said, whether it's during the campaign or even before the campaign started, you know, whether it was about Barack Obama and his status, those were langu you know, languages and words, code words, that leads and builds one upon the other. Really? So things that the president has said are building and leading one upon the other. It, it sounds like somebody who got smacked just a little bit too hard. And instead of acknowledging that they deserved the smack, yay, they even provoked it. They stood up there and they put their face up and they said, we're going to say all kinds of horrible things about you. And we dare you to say anything back to defend yourself. And Donald Trump was like, I'll take that dare every day. And he's been smacking them so hard their ears are still ringing from the smacks from the campaign. They can't even hear the stuff he's saying right now about them. They're too busy worrying about how hard he, they, he smacked them back then. And so he gets up here. His name's Representative Gregory Meeks. And he fixes his mouth to try to 
yet again smeared Donald Trump as not just a racist, but the most powerful man on the planet. You know, I really hate it when people say that the president is the most powerful man on the planet. Now, I get in some contexts that it may appear that the president of the United States is the most powerful man on the planet because the United States exerts extreme command and authority over a very strong military and our foreign policy aims tend to direct other nations' actions. But to say that President Trump is so powerful that he's literally causing white supremacists to rise up and shoot up mosques, well, I, for one, I don't think President Trump has that kind of power. I think people are responsible for their own actions. And the same as I thought it was unfortunate that President Obama said certain things about the police acting stupidly and all this other stuff, I never for one second thought he's empowering this one and that one to say this or that uh, or to do this or that. Because in the end, the guy who did the mosque shootings in New Zealand had to decide for himself he was going to do those things. As much as the victimhood purveyors want to convince you that there's some magical white guy in the sky, notice it's never a magical black guy, even though we had a black president. And even though Oprah's swanning around amongst us, you know, breathing the same air as we're breathing and, you know, looking at the same trees and flying on the same planes, even though she's around, too, and she's black. It's just a magical white guy someplace pulling all the strings, telling people what to do, and they can't control themselves. This guy in New Zealand, he couldn't his mind couldn't face up to the strength and magnificent, awe-inspiring, you know, mind control mechanism of Donald Trump. He just heard two or three comments from Donald Trump and he was done. He just had to write a crazy, whacked up manifesto and go shoot up a couple of mosques. That's what we're supposed to believe? I'm sorry, I just don't, I don't believe that. And if you read the manifesto from beginning to end, you know that's not true. But for people who are getting their drive-by news and just picking up a bit here and a bit there, they hear Representative Gregory Meeks and, he, and admittedly he is hard to listen to. That's why I cut it off right there. He, he said some more slanderous lies, but I figured you'd heard enough. And they're going to hear him say that and think, oh, because President Trump did say there were good people on both sides. So here's President Trump condemning white supremacy. And I, I got two instances for you, not because there weren't more, not because I couldn't have spent this whole hour and part of the next just giving you different sound bites of the president over the years before he was president, since he's been president, since he was on the campaign trail, denouncing white supremacy and white supremacists and saying good things about black people, Hispanic people, Jewish people, you name it. I'm, we, don't, we don't need that much documentation. You just need to hear it a couple of times from the past 12 months, one of these, and the other one is from two years ago. And the reason we're listening to them is because you just heard Gregory Meeks say Trump has the biggest megaphone in the world, but chooses not to condemn white supremacy. Now, that statement makes it sound as if he has never condemned white supremacy. And I, I would like to know from Representative Meeks, how many times does the president have to condemn it? How many times does he have to say racism is repugnant, which he said, it's wrong, it's criminal, we'll chase down and, and hunt down anyone who harms other people because of race? We will execute the fullest extent of the law in prosecuting them. And also, I condemn white supremacy, the KKK, and David Duke. How many more times does he have to say it? Now, you know the answer is he can never say it enough because this is a slander campaign. But let's listen to the president. It's number three. To anyone who acted criminally in this weekend's racist violence, 
you will be held fully accountable. Justice will be delivered. As I said on Saturday, we condemn in the strongest possible terms this egregious display of hatred, bigotry, and violence. It has no place in America. And as I have said many times before, no matter the color of our skin, we all live under the same laws. We all live under the same laws. Um, the hatred and bigotry has no place here. You hear it from his own mouth. It's not audio that I spliced together. It's this president responding to what he's heard. And I want to make another point here. And I know I'm going to be dealing in logic so liberals won't be able to hear this. People who worship at the altar of Barack Obama won't be able to understand the words that are coming out of my mouth. And anybody who thinks that President Trump is an evil, evil puppet of the Russians and also a racist, not a racist, a racist, will not be able to understand what I'm saying. But I'm going to say it anyway, because there's somebody out there who needs to hear this truth. And that is, what about Israel? If President Trump really said there were good people on both sides of the white supremacists, so in other words, there were white supremacists who were good, why wouldn't Bibi Netanyahu have immediately come out? Because you know he's prone to flying over here. <laughs> Bibi, Netanyahu, Bibi Netanyahu is prone to flying over here and demanding a meeting with the U.S. Congress. And a few years ago he did that. Something was going on with Barack Obama. They had a big kind of, you know, uh, going back and forth. You, I, I don't even remember what the specific issue was, but um, Bibi Netanyahu flew over here and requested a meeting with the entire Congress, and everyone sat down and listened to him address the U.S. Congress. Do y'all remember that? Google it. Uh, use your Bing search engine, not your Google. Use your Bing. So it, this will it, – it's something that he will do. If he thought President Trump – said that white supremacists were good. Because remember, white supremacists, they don't just hate blacks. They hate all people of color. And they especially hate Jewish people. And so if they really, if anybody in Israel, but specifically Bibi Netanyahu, thought that President Trump had given a validation to white supremacists, he would have been over here for a meeting with the president. He probably would have tried to address a joint session of Congress again. You also have to think about how many how many millions, tens of millions of people in America voted for Donald Trump? I'm, I'm talking about that white person who your tire was flat and they pulled over and they helped you out. They didn't ask for any money. They just helped you swap your tire out and then got back in their truck and drove off. I'm talking about that white police officer when you dialed 911. Ding, ding, ding. That's me over here. And they were at your house in a minute and 20 seconds. And then they went and swept your whole yard and even went through the whole house, even though you hadn't left the house and then stood there and basically walked you back down off the top of the tree because you're scared out of your wits. You think someone's trying to break in. They've cleared your yard, cleared your home. And now they're giving you their business cards and saying, if you feel scared later, you can call us again because if you know, we'll and we'll definitely drive around the streets, all the streets around your home to make sure your neighborhood is safe. That white guy. And I could go on and on and on. I could do 24 hours a day with three breaks per hour of instances of white people coming to the aid of blacks, Hispanics, Jews, Asians, whatever, all over this country, stories of white people saving the lives of black people, rescuing black kids when they're drowning in lakes, you name it. All those people 
some of whom voted for Donald Trump. They're all racist, too. They heard him say this guy, these white supremacists are good people, too. And they said, oh, yeah, Donald Trump, you're right. White supremacists are good people, too. You know, good and darn well that Americans, if there's one thing they're not afraid to do, it's when someone they've supported politically says something they don't like for them to go after them. And Americans, if if President Trump said white supremacists were good people, too, there are millions of Americans who would have been like, "Okay, so we're done. Explain yourself or we're done. I won't vote for you. I'm not voting for that. And maybe the reason why liberals don't understand that that's what conservatives would do is because liberals won't do that. Ilhan Omar is an anti-Semite who wants to wipe Jewish people off the face of the earth. And she wants American Jews to sit down quietly with their hands folded while she tries to get it done. And Democrats are just sitting around saying, well, she just doesn't understand the things she's saying. You don't hear any equivocation on the part of conservatives. We know what he meant. He meant on the protesters who some were for the statues and some were against those Groups had good people on both sides, not the white supremacists who showed up and tried to hijack the protest. So how many more times does he have to say he doesn't agree with David Duke and the KKK and white supremacy? How many more times do you have to say his daughter converted to Judaism and she's a practicing Jew? Their grandchildren are Jews. The other grandchildren are Jews as well. And the wives are Jewish. All the all the the daughters-in-law are Jewish. How much more does he need to do? So here he is. This audio is a little older. He's on a major news, you know, kind of mag- news magazine show. He gets asked about Paul Ryan making comments. Um, and the comments that they were, that Paul Ryan was making was, they were about, um, you know, the president has a lot of rhetoric that he makes that he doesn't like. And um, there's even some rhetoric that he, that he's making. This was a, when the president was talking about um, not bringing a lot of people from lands that don't have compatibility with our culture. So lowering immigration from countries that send people over here who can't assimilate. And some of those countries are Muslim. Uh, some of them are Hispanics who come over here. They don't want to speak English. They don't want to learn how to be Americans. They don't want to assimilate. They just want to come and recreate con- the conditions from their own country. The president was talking about that on the campaign trail, and everyone was trying to draw a line between that and racism. They were trying to say, he's saying those things because he's a racist, when in reality, he was just stating the facts. And this same concept applies to when, like, let's say you're going to work for a company and you've been working for a competitor and you come in and you keep doing things the way you did them at the competitor, but at the new company you're working for, they have their own methodology. So they put you through training and they expect you to start doing things their way, but you just won't. How long do you think you're going to last? See, the difference is that a company, they can just fire you. But once we allow you to bring your carcass over here to America and you start acting like a jihadist from your own homeland, you know, we can't, it's not easy to get rid of you. You actually have to break the law, be convicted of a felony, and then we can deport you. So until you've actually been convicted of something, you just keep running around spreading your garbage here in America. And that's what he's talking about. He said they weren't sending their best people. They're not. So here he is rejecting the KKK, rejecting David Duke, and rejecting everything that has anything to do with them. It's number four. How many times do I have to reject? I've rejected David Duke, rejected David Duke. Uh, I've rejected the KKK, the Ku Klux Klan. From the time I'm five years old, I rejected them. I put it on Twitter last week. How many times? You know, it's an amazing thing with Twitter. I have six million, more than six million, and I have another six million with Facebook. I have like 13 or almost 14 million with Instagram. 
When I put out a minor message, everybody picks it up. Donald Trump just tweeted something very unimportant. Let me just explain. When I put out that I reject KKK and David Duke, nobody picks it up. You know why they don't? Because they don't want to pick it up. They pick it up. You pick it up. Everyone else picks it up. You saw simultaneously, practically at the same time. They don't want to pick it up. Now, I have been asked this question so many times. I have rejected it so many times. So many times. So many times. So the point to them saying it over and over again is because some people who honestly don't have the same brain synapses firing at the same frequency and, you know, level as our Maltese, who, and I'm not trying to insult him because he's pretty smart. He's a smart little dog, but everyone knows that the bigger dogs, like the Labradors and whatnot, are smarter than the teeny tiny ones. But the teeny tiny ones can still be pretty whip smart. And our little dog, who, as smart as he is, he's never going to talk or anything, is smarter than a lot of the people that I see constantly constantly calling the president a racist because they don't need to let their brain synapses fire. They literally can just sit and their minds are like a trash can. You just pop the lid and you pour all the garbage into it. Donald Trump's a racist. He's a, um, he's a, he's somebody who, um, you know, believes he does whatever Putin tells him to do. Donald Trump hates Muslims. He hates, you know, black people. Donald Trump is a hater. He's also trying to destroy this country. And they just pour that garbage in. And then you click the lid shut. And then that person will say, Donald Trump's a racist and he hates, he hates black Americans. They'll just repair it, whatever they heard. They could be at the airport, CNN's playing, and they hear it. And they're like, oh, that's, yeah, I because we all know he's a racist. And if you ask them, you say, hey, oh, wait. What has he done that's racist? Because he's currently working on an initiative to improve, you know, X, Y, and Z for the black community. He specifically called out the black community and said he wants to see an improvement in this area or lowest black unemployment, you know, for three decades. What's racist about that? Well, I know he's a racist. They just go back to whatever little loop is playing in their brain. And so for people like that, they don't need evidence. Even hearing the president in his own voice rejecting the KKK and David Duke, condemning white supremacy and promising to hunt down and prosecute anyone who practices these evils is still not enough because the little conversational loop, the, the mental loop has been programmed and engaged and they just, they're, they're not willing to allow any new information in to shut it off. But, you know, we have to send the truth out, right? We have to send the truth out here right now. Um, and that's what we're doing. And we'll continue to do that. And so when we get back, we're going to take your calls at 866-963-2037, 866-963-2037. And we have uh, the study about minimum wage. It says it will increase crime if we increase the minimum wage to $15 an hour. I don't know about that, but we'll talk about that when we get back as well. What does it take to be a sports success and a team player? Here's Pro Football Hall of Fame coach Tony Dungy with today's Uncommon Moment. Today's speedy quarterbacks like Cam Newton and Russell Wilson owe a debt of gratitude to Hall of Famer Fran Tarkenton. When Tarkenton joined the league in 1961, he was drafted by the Minnesota Vikings. The team was brand new and the offensive line charged with protecting Tarkenton was weak. But Fran sprinted around the backfield, buying time, avoiding sacks, and even running the ball, developing the notion of the mobile quarterback in the process. 
By the time he retired 17 seasons later, he held every major passing record. He's still among the top quarterbacks of all time in both passing and rushing. Fran Tarkenton had the uncommon ability to elevate players around him, and he changed the face of football forever. Tony Dungy, best-selling author of Quiet Strength and the Uncommon Book Series. Discover more at CoachDungy.com. This is Just a Minute with Stacey Washington. Turn on the news any time of day and stories of victimization flow. Every demographic group, every segment of society is a victim. Instead of seeing ourselves as righteous and forgiven, made right with God through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, we believe the noise and accept a victim's mentality. Victims cannot accomplish goals or persevere through life's trials and tribulations. The New Testament is replete with verses about who we are in Christ. Guess what? You are not a victim. You are a victorious child of God. You are a branch of the true vine and a conduit of Christ's life. Jesus calls you friend. You are justified and redeemed. You are free from condemnation and set free from the law of sin and death. You are God's workmanship, created to produce good works. You are accepted, redeemed, and you can do all things through Christ, who is our strength. I'm Stacey Washington. Find out more at StaceyOnTheRight.com. Securing America. Could North Korea in talks with the United States? Pyongyang's deputy foreign minister has threatened North Korea may walk away after the summit in Hanoi. Secretary of State Mike Pompeo says he remains hopeful the talks will continue. Saw the remarks that she made. Um, she left open the possibility that negotiations would continue for sure. It's, uh, it's the administration's uh, desire that we continue to have conversations around this. Secretary Pompeo also says he expects leader Kim Jong-un to live up to promises made in Singapore and in Hanoi. He spoke directly to the president and made a commitment that he would not resume nuclear testing, nor would he resume missile testing. As for North Korean accusations that Pompeo created an environment of hostility in Hanoi... They're wrong about that. <laughs> And uh, I I was there. Talks last month in Vietnam ended suddenly without reaching a deal. In Washington, Rachel Sutherland, Fox News. Welcome back to Stacy on the Right on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. To anyone who acted criminally in this weekend's racist violence, you will be held fully accountable. Justice will be delivered. As I said on Saturday, we condemn in the strongest possible terms this egregious display of hatred, bigotry, and violence. It has no place in America. And as I have said many times before, no matter the color of our skin, we all live under the same laws. So I'm not sure how he could be any more clear. And we're playing that again for emphasis. If you're just tuning into the show, welcome. Thank you for joining us here and making your home at American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. You can find out more about our ministry at afa.net. AFR.net is for the radio side. And StaceyOnTheRight.com is my website. Urban Family Talk, also a part of American Family Radio, UrbanFamilyTalk.com. I'd love to chat with you this segment of the show, 866-963-2037, 866-963-2037. That's how you can join in. Um, I'm so excited that next week is National Religious Broadcasters Convention, and we'll be broadcasting live from there. And so you're going to hear some wonderful guests from the convention. And really, honestly, 
There's going to be some super fun people there. Sam Sorbo, Kevin Sorbo, the Sorbos will be there. And others who I just really enjoy um, listening to them. And you hear them here on American Family Radio, the nationally syndicated people who've been around for a while and doing their ministries really established. They'll be there. I expect I'll probably see Star Parker and um, even Dr. Carol Swain who I saw both of them at CPAC, so it'll be nice to see them again as well. So I'm really excited to get a chance to go with um, American Family Radio. And I'm also excited about, you know, we we broadcast from other places before. It's not like we've never done that, but it's always fun to get to do. So that's next week. Um, this is an interesting story. And I kind of teased it a little bit last segment about this $15 minimum wage. They're saying... An analysis rejects Obama's CEA claim that higher minimum wages lower crime. And uh, this is a new paper that was released on Monday, which directly contradicts past arguments from the Obama-era Council of Economic Advisors. They said that raising the minimum wage would reduce crime rates. But the authors found in their study that an increase to the minimum wage drives up property crime rates among 16 to 24-year-olds, the group most likely to be working for minimum wage already. So a myriad of factors determine whether or not people choose to commit crimes. We know that, right? Including economic factors, access to jobs, steady income, education. Uh, they can all influence whether or not a person begins a career as a criminal. And this has a practical implication for policymakers who are looking to reduce crime in addition to expensive interventions like increasing incarceration or you know, putting more police officers on the street Enhancing labor market access and outcomes theoretically could be an effective approach. And so that, that's, that's the, the point to this. And that's what the Obama administration Council of Economic Advisors was trying to point to. They were saying, give these people good paying jobs and you will see crime go down. But when they looked at it, the CEA conducted a back of the envelope analysis and concluded, let's raise the minimum wage to $12 by 2020. That will cut the crime rate by 3 to 5%, the equivalent of eliminating 250 to 510,000 crimes per year. But there's a problem with this approach. Although the minimum wage increases take-home wages for some workers, it also leads to reduced hours and job loss among other workers. Now, we've seen this, and this is not something that we're making up. This is the truth. Um. And it's supported by government data and statistics. So what happens? Well, if your skill level puts the market value of your labor below the floor imposed by the minimum wage, it actually encourages employers to, instead of employing you, to put a robot where you would be. So not only are you not making $15 an hour, you've, you're unemployed, which makes it much more likely that a person would have to resort to criminal activity if they can't find other gainful employment. But that's the thing. A person who is qualified to do a minimum wage job but not qualified to do a job for $15 an hour, it doesn't mean when they leave that one job they're suddenly qualified in another location. They're not qualified, which is why minimum wage jobs exist. It's an entry point into the job market. You work there and build your skills and then you can move up. People who are purveyors of this $15 an hour minimum wage are eliminating an entire sector of the workforce opportunity 
the opportunity to work for a minimum amount so that you can um, earn money and get, you know, basically work under your belt. So you can basically say, look, I've worked here for a year. I showed up on time and I did a great job. And now I want to work for you and learn a different skill and make a little more money. But how can you do that if every job starts at 15 an hour and your skill set is still at six or four or five an hour? And employers know that. Let's not play. All right. Yay. We have a lot of callers. Let's go to the phones. Uh, Joe in Oklahoma. Thank you for calling the show today. Yeah. Hi, Stacy. How you doing? Good. Hey, uh, listen, I want to share with you and uh, your listeners. You were talking a while ago about uh, how the left keeps hammering Donald Trump and how horrible he is. Mm -hmm. There's a reason for that. And uh, I don't know, I, maybe some of your people already know this, uh, maybe they don't, I don't know. But they're following this, uh, the uh, plan laid out by Saul Alinsky, and Alinsky was uh, uh, Hillary Clinton's mentor back uh, years and years ago. And he wrote a book called Rules for Radicals. You can Google it and find these things out. But my point is this. He said that um, ridicule is man's most potent weapon, and he's right. Um, but the one I want to talk about, the one point that he makes, is that you have to continuously push, push, push your point. Push regardless. Do not let up. Do not relent. Even though you're pushing a negative, it will push through and become a positive. And that's why they continuously, continuously, continuously say the same old thing, horrible, horrible, horrible about Donald Trump. Mm -hmm. You're right. And that's why we have to continually never get tired of pushing the truth. And it seems like we're just saying the same thing over and over again. But it, it has to happen because people are only hearing that he's a racist, that he hates people. And it's also... To, to your point, Joe, it, this illustrates your point perfectly. That's why the president uses ridicule and mockery against his enemies, because it diminishes their stature and makes them irrelevant. And that's why he continues to use it, even when, we, you know, we're up here complaining. And I've done it too, y'all. Before I, I took on my new uh, attitude towards President Trump's Twitter feed at first, I, you know, people would call in. I don't like what he's saying. And I'd say, yeah, that wasn't my favorite. Now, I'd, 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 not only do I not care. I understand it's something he has to use. The president has to use ridicule and mockery against his enemies because otherwise their words stick. It's, it's literally a fight. It's a battle. And, you know, that's the thing about warriors, isn't it? I, I've met people who've gone overseas and, and they've, you know, been in combat specialties. And there's something different about them. And when you meet them, I, my habit is to thank them for what they did for our country and for being willing to go over and do what they did. And I don't really, I don't ask him about the details. I don't, you know, I'm not one of those people who's into, tell me a war story. I'm not into that. I just want to thank them for what they've done. If you don't have it in you to go over and, and literally clash swords or, you know, bayonets, fixed bayonets with the enemy. If you don't have it in you to kill and destroy and break stuff like our combat warriors do then you have to just respect that those people, that they have it in them and that they'll do it. And so it's similar to what we see with President Trump because he's willing to go into the arena and joust and he's willing to fight to the death. And we have to respect the fact that he's willing to do that. But we can't sit on the sideline and say, I don't like how you're using your fixed bayonet while you're fighting. That doesn't look good. That doesn't look nice. You're not being polite. We, we can't do that because we're not in there doing the battle, are we? 
So unless you're willing to get in there and get your fixed bayonet and go in and do a little battle, then you have to sit back and be quiet. Sometimes it's just not for us to criticize. And, and so you're going to do whatever you want. You can say whatever you want about Donald Trump. I just want you to understand why I, I'm no longer engaged in that exercise. He's got a plan. He's working on something. He's doing something specific. And, you know, I don't have all the details. I don't get the classified briefings. I don't get any of the briefings. I just get whatever the White House press corps puts out. And that's not enough for me to understand the complexity of what's going on there. Monica in Texas, thank you so much for calling in today. Yes, um, Stacy, uh, I just had a question. Just to let you know first, I'm a Christian. Mm-hmm. And um, I try to follow morals and Christian values. And I, I noted, you're black, correct? And I don't yeah. understand the emphasis, the emphasis on when you talked about white policemen. I mean, I have nothing against anybody. I go to the diverse church and everything. But, ma'am, you, you cannot generalize and say, this white man, that white man is nice, good, whatever. Black people are good, too. Mexican people are good. All people have good and bad. Did I, did I say but they weren't good? I'm sorry. Was, we need to make no, sure that no, we're ma'am. understanding what it's I said. Good. Did I say black people weren't good? Because I'm black. No, but what I'm... And I said plenty of things about black law enforcement because my father is in law enforcement. He carries the gun and the badge every day. I have talked about all law enforcement in this country, over a million strong, that they're they're all doing a fantastic job, over a billion interactions per year with Americans. And these people, they're black, they're white, they're Hispanic, they're Asian, they're men, they're women, and they are all in law enforcement. And I have said over and over and over again the respect that I have for them and how wonderful a job they've done. It just so happens that the three times I've dialed 911, the officers who were responded were white. So those were anecdotal things that I was talking about in that segment. So I, I've never said Hispanics aren't good or that Asians aren't good. I've never said anything like that. I've never said anything similar to that. But what I was speaking about was this tendency to make everything about white people being so horrible. And I can say that and believe that black people are good too. Now, I'm, I'm sorry that I had to cut you off, but you're done here on this show because I can't let you call onto my program speaking to millions of people and make it seem as if I've ever said that any one group of people are bad. What I talk about are ideologies and culture. You know what's bad? It's the culture that teaches black people that they're victims and that if we're not saying good things about black people, we can't say good things about white people. I will say whatever I want. And if you misunderstand it, I will cut you off and correct you. Thank you for calling the show. Darius in North Carolina, thank you for calling in today. Hello, Miss Stacy. How are you doing? Doing pretty good. How about you? Yeah, it's pretty good. I, I'm a big fan of yours. I just want to say I'm proud of him. Oh, no. We lost him. Darius, if you want to call back, please do. Um, Bill in Alabama, thank you for calling the show today. Hey, Stacy. Hey, I, I how just you doing? got one question. When, when these ice. Uh, people ask the sanctuary city important uh, law enforcement officers uh, aren't breaking the law if they don't give these uh, illegal aliens to them. Are they breaking the law if they what? Sorry, what? I don't. I don't think I understood the question. What? Do, what are you saying? Um, I've got a bad connection. I'll, I'll, I'll have to try later. No, at just I couldn't really understand what you were asking. You were asking about ICE and sanctuary cities. Okay. 
Well, if you can hear me, I'm asking about when one of these ICE agents goes to a sanctuary city law enforcement agency and asks for these illegal aliens, mm-hmm. aren't they breaking the law? Uh, so the ICE agent is not breaking the law, but if they, if a sanctuary city has said that they won't cooperate with law enforcement, then what they've done is they've created a law that contravenes federal immigration law. So the two laws are standing and they're both, you know, they're both laws, but one contradicts the other. Now, I, I think that I learned somewhere in civics that federal law supersedes, but when there's a difference in the law, then what happens usually is an attorney general or somebody from one side or the other will sue and or someone who has standing like a person who's been harmed by a, a you know, lack of ICE detainer or something. They sue and then it goes through the courts and goes to the, you know, the circuit courts and then it can end up at the Supreme Court. But it's not actually against the law for an ICE agent to show up at a prison where they know there's a, a, a you know, illegal alien that they have a detainer order for and to try to apprehend that individual. But what ICE has taken to doing is going to places where they know they can find these people where it's probable that they'll show up. So maybe this they, they think this person will show up at this church. They have, you know, some background information that this person attends this church or they work at this place and they will try to catch them at a place where they know they're going to be wherever they can find them, basically, and then arrest them. Um, but the the law that the sanctuary cities have, basically, it's just a law that negates a federal law. And it's resulting in people, people are being killed. Um, I think we had this on the show the other day, and I was going to talk about it. And we didn't get to it. And we are just like one minute out here. Um, it was yesterday or the day before this, this woman, 46 years old, and a guy with a rap sheet as long as my arm went to her house, he followed her there, and he stabbed her to death. And it turns out he had a deportation order that he was under, but the jail let him free the last time they arrested him because it's a sanctuary city. So I hope that answers the question. Um, and, and again, because I know somebody's bound to email me and say I was mean to Monica. No, I wasn't. I just had it up to here with people telling me what I can and can't say. It, it's not going to fly. God bless from the heartland. Have a fantastic evening. Stacy on the right.